Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 71 for Wednesday, October 11th, 2017. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Before we get to this month's show, I have an exciting announcement about a new project that you may be interested in. The only person to have been on this podcast four times is my dear friend Sabriel Masson. We obviously have a lot to talk about, including last year when she came on for the very first Polygamer side quest when we reviewed the movie Star Trek Beyond. We had so much to talk about in the world of Star Trek that as soon as that episode was over and the announcement of Star Trek Discovery, the new TV show, was made, I immediately emailed her and said, we need to do a podcast about this. And now that Star Trek Discovery has finally debuted on CPS All Access, that's exactly what we've done. Sabriel and I are co-hosting Transporter Lock, a new weekly podcast that reviews each episode of Star Trek Discovery as it airs. We've already aired five episodes, and we'll continue to publish more as Discovery voyages through its first season. I encourage you to check us out at transporterlock.com. In the meantime, I'm equally thrilled to present to you today's guest on the Polygamer podcast, marking her third appearance on the show. She's been here primarily to talk about Take This, but she is also an accomplished writer, editor, journalist, and critic in the game space, having worked at Escapist, Joystick, Games Radar, and many more. She has many exciting new adventures that she has recently embarked upon, and so here I am today to chat with my dear friend and frequent PAX East co-panelist, Susan Arndt. Hello, Susan. How are you today? I am excellent. Ken, how are you? I'm delighted to be speaking with you. Your third time on Polygamer. Yay! Yeah, it's, it's always fun to talk to you, so anytime you'll have me back, I'll be here. Well, thank you. The feeling is likewise. Yay! Anytime you want to have me on your podcast, just let me know. We are we are just starting uh, to talk about having guests on because we were still figuring out stuff like, you know, getting it all recorded and edited and, and all that. So, yes. Sure. Yes, yes. You got to lay down the foundation, establish a baseline. Exactly. I'm down with that. Cool. So we'll be talking about your podcast, but the main thing I'm super excited to talk to you about today is your latest massive venture. You are, a, once again, editor-in-chief, but this time it's of Genie Online. What is Genie? G- okay, so Genie Magazine is the longest-running magazine for conjurers, which is magicians, uh, in the entire world. It's been running for 81 years, and uh, we just launched Genie Online, which is a companion to the magazine, because the magazine is subscription only, and you, you like you can't just go pick it up at a newsstand. Um, and it's very, very intensely for magicians. Like it will teach you method, it will teach you secrets. Whereas Genie Online is for everybody. You don't need a subscription to enjoy it. It it doesn't give away secrets, uh, but it does it encompass not just the world of magic, but also uh, deception. So we have, for example, a, a feature article up right now about how games at the carnival are rigged so that you won't win and how the carnies use deception and trickery to make it look like you can win. Does the website and the magazine have the same audience? The The... Audience for the the magazine is much smaller. That's just going to be your actual magic performers and enthusiasts. Whereas if you, you know, if you watch Penn and Teller fool us, if you go see a magician when you're in Las Vegas, if you've ever seen a card trick and, and thought, whoa, that was really cool. Then you will enjoy Genie Online. We have uh, an article about there was a, there was a, a magician named uh, Jasper Maskelin who 
in World War II told just wonderful, wonderful lies about (laughs) everything he was doing to fight the Axis powers. Uh, But then he did also uh, help a little bit of deception uh, into uh, tricking the enemy as to making them think that troops were one place when they were actually another. Um, We have another article about how communism nearly killed magic in the Czech Republic. So there's also we have a, we have another article for the gaming audience uh, how game designers use trickery and deception to make sure you're having more fun. So when you're talking about deception, you're not talking about, for example, fake news and rigged elections. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. The kind of deception. So there there are three kinds of deception, right? There's deception to entertain, and that's magic. You're in on it. You're being fooled, but you know you're being fooled. Yeah, like that's why you're there is is to be fooled. And then there's deception. Uh, for positive uh, results. And that's like spycraft. And then there's deception for negative stuff. And that's con men. Uh, That would be your fake news. That's deception used to manipulate and uh, take advantage of people. And the only way Genie Online will address that is to call it out, is to say like, this is how you are being tricked and this is hurting you. For example, uh, spiritualists, will use magic method to make you think they're communing with the dead, right? And some people know that you go to a seance and it's just, it's an entertainment. But then there are some people who genuinely believe that these people have the power to speak to their loved ones. And it's never for anybody's, but it's never just like, oh, let me just give you some closure. It's let me give you some closure and you can give me some money. And that's very, very harmful. And it's a very cruel thing to do to use these skills to to take advantage of someone's grief. So that's the kind of thing magicians it pisses magicians off so much. So they will actually use their ability to say no no no, see what that guy's doing right there? You think he's he's talking to your your dead auntie? No no no. Let me show you the tricks he's using to convince you that something magical is happening. So we will we will debunk, we will bust deception used for malicious means. Uh all the, all the deception that we want to praise is used to delight and entertain and benefit people. You are the arbiters of what is real magic and what is not. Like whether or not psychics or people able to bend spoons, you decide whether or not that's real. Look, I'm just there's 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 no real magic, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you. It's, in fact, I was uh, I was in a cab the other day, and you know people always ask like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I run a website for magicians and dead serious now this is not an uneducated or unintelligent man at all he asked me straight up if it was true that magicians make deals with the devil to gain their powers no okay i'm just let me just no these are not these people are not actually magical they're highly highly skilled trained performers they spend decades honing their craft they're just really really good at it but it's just tricks, folks. There's no, there are no psychics. There, magic isn't real. So the magicians who do deal with the devil, that's not your audience. <laughs> that's just, well, no. I mean, that's just their personal <laughs> life. And I don't judge. I'm just saying that's not how they get their powers. To subscribe to the print magazine, do you have to apply and prove yourself to be an actual magician? I, I think you actually had to at one time. Uh, I do not believe that is still true. But uh, most folks... If this is the thing. I mean, like, are you going to pay 70 bucks to for a magazine that, you know, if unless you're super into this? Like, not everybody who gets the magazine is a performer. Some are just enthusiasts. They're just into it. They just think it's cool. Um, 
But no, you don't have to pass the test. It's not like the Magic Castle. To be a member of the Magic Castle, the Magic Castle, of course, is the Magician's Club in Los Angeles, very, very famous. Uh, you do actually have to take a test. You have to perform for them, and they have to think you're good enough to be in their ranks. You got you to gotta do a trick for them. How is it that the print magazine has been around for 80-plus years, but it's never had a website? Magicians are very lo-fi. Only relatively recently has there been a move towards an online space for magic, because this is the thing. I mean, magic is about manipulating the physical. It's about, you know, sleight of hand and making something real in front of you look like it's disappeared or do, do the impossible. And that's a very tangible thing. You got you got to have it in your hands, right? Like this is a physical skill as much as anything. So that is not something that translates immediately or naturally to the online space. It is something that works real well in print because it's okay let me diagram this out for you here are the steps here's a picture of how your hands should be that kind of thing and it also makes a really really great archive you've got if you've got 80 years of genie on your shelf you have not only an amazing library of all these kinds of illusions and tricks you can do but also you've got a really great archive of the history of your craft and that's super cool that doesn't exist online like the history of magic just doesn't exist anywhere like you'll get little pieces here and there you'll see there's a bunch on like houdini obviously and you know there's a bunch on Penn and teller of course but if you want to look at like magic as a whole there's no one place to go to find out about it and that's part of what we want to achieve with genie online to really give a home and an archive to this wonderful wonderful artistic medium that a lot of people don't know about. And even if they are interested in it, they don't really have a great resource to go find out more. Like some, you can look on YouTube for tricks and a lot of what's on YouTube is just garbage. It's just, it's just bad. It's either bad magical method or it's bad video or it's both. It's not, it's not great. So we want to not only introduce new, new folks who are interested in magic to this sort of community, but also, you know, anybody with a passing interest, like, whoa, cardistry, cardistry is the manipulation of cards. Like if you ever see people cutting a deck into five different segments with one hand, that's, that's cardistry. It's cool. You know, it's neat. It's a fun thing to look at and maybe try yourself. And even if you're not interested in trying yourself, it's just like any other artistic medium, seeing people who are really, really good at it is enjoyable. Does the website have any sort of magic castle members only section? Not yet. But we will. Ah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because what we want to do. So what used to happen, if you were into magic, you would go to your local magic shop and you would hang out and you would talk to people and they would teach you and then you would teach them. And it was this it's this wonderful in-person exchange of ideas. And that's how magic was taught. And that doesn't really exist anymore. There is no such thing as a local magic shop anymore. So what we want to do is we want to make Genie Online the the global magic shop right like everybody can come and hang out and, and talk and learn stuff and and you know bounce ideas off each other and sort of riff but you can't do that in plain view because you know you can't talk shop you'll be giving away your secrets to every yutz in the audience so what we want to do is we want to have a members only section where you have to you know be an actual performer to get in. And then you can, they, they will have the uh, comfort of being able to talk without worrying that they're giving away their whole act. 
Now, you've been on this podcast before talking about video games, your role at Games Radar, Escapist, Joystick, Take This. I didn't know you were a magician as well. I'm not. I'm not a magician. I just love magic. I, I've loved magic since I was a little kid. Uh, back in the 80s was a real big magic on TV. It started with Doug Henning. He would do uh, specials on TV all the time. And then David Copperfield did TV specials all the time. And this is in the, the dark days before the internet. So uh, it was uh, like on that's incredible. That's incredible. You would have uh, guest magicians and they would pop up on these shows that I watched and it was, I loved it. And the thing that I love about magic as an adult, because when you're a kid, every, every kid loves magic, right? Because it's, it's super cool and someone is doing the impossible right in front of you and that's awesome. But then what happens as you get older is you figure out how the world works. Like you see somebody do a magic trick when you're six and it's just it's just this wonderful, remarkable thing. And then by the time you're 26, you know enough about lying and misdirection to maybe have a basic idea of how things work, right? And as you learn more about the world and how things work and how people are and the kinds of things people do, you start to lose your sense of wonder. And that's a total, totally natural part of getting older. I mean, that's you're going from not knowing anything to knowing things and, and you lose a bit of wonder along the way. And that's just how that is. And it's sad though. Like it really makes me sad that we have to lose our ability to be astonished if we're going to learn anything. So what I really appreciate about magic as an adult is it gives that back. You know, I know a lot about a lot. I even know a fair amount about magic. But when I see a really good performer for that, for that, for that instant, for that minute, for that split second, I am astonished like I'm a kid again. And it's just the most wonderful and pure feeling of delight. And that's, that's why I love magic. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited to be working on this because I want to be able to give that back to people, especially, I don't know if you've noticed, things have kind of sucked. What? For a while. What? I know. It's true. I don't know. It's just, they've been a little dismal for like, I don't know, a year and a half. So the ability to just sort of inject a little bit of purity back into people's lives, something with no agenda, it's just, it, it exists solely to make you happy. I think that's a gift to be able to bring that back to people. Is that unique to magic? It's not. It's not unique to magic. No, not at all. Um, you know, I think video games do that too. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, all of our best forms of entertainment can do that. I just, I think that magic is an aspect that uh, is, a, is a form of entertainment that a lot of people don't think about. They love it when it's in front of them, but it never occurs to them to go look for it. So what I'm hoping to do with Genie Online is include a whole bunch of of other really neat stuff that they'll enjoy and then also like, hey, check out this really cool magic trick because it's going to make you go, oh my god, I don't know how he did that. That's so awesome. So you are definitely a magic enthusiast, but there are a lot of people who are enthusiasts about a lot of things and they don't end up as editor-in-chiefs of websites on those topics. How did you <laughs> land this gig? <laughs> it's true. Uh, my career is a little, it's a little weird how things happen to me. Um, so I got laid off from uh, Games Radar in the yearly future publishing purge and uh, I, so I announced on Twitter that, Hey, I'm, I'm out of a job. If anybody, you know, 
has any info on a gig, help me out. And I got an email that day from Randy Pitchford, who I did not know. I had interviewed him twice, I think, uh, once for Duke Nukem and once for, I don't Borderlands. It must've been Borderlands. And, uh, out of the blue, I didn't know he had any idea who I was. And he, he shoots me an email. He's like, Hey, I got a, a, a weird question for you. Do you like magic? I'm like, I freaking love magic. Why do you ask? And uh, so he uh, bought Genie Magazine a few years back. And he is, in case uh, the listeners are unaware, uh, Randy is a magician himself. His uncle is Cardini, who is a very famous magician. And uh, Randy feels very, very strongly about preserving this history of magic. It's very important to him as a person. So he bought Genie Magazine a few years ago and, and being a savvy tech guy recognized that it needed it needs the genie brand needs some kind of online representation print not a sustainable business model (laughs) as it happens uh so he wanted to to do this and he hadn't planned on doing it yet but there i was and i am a part of a very very small venn diagram of people with web media experience who also really dig magic so uh, we met and he's like, here's what I want to do. And I'm like, dude, I got you. And he's like, okay, cool. Uh, here, go do it. I'm going to get out your way. Go do it. And uh, yeah, he, is, he has been extremely uh, generous and chill about it. He's like, I just trust you to know what you're doing. I will help you with the magic aspect of it because, you know, I'm more in that community than you are. Um, but I don't know diddly about web publishing and you do so i'm not going to tell you how to do that part you just go you mentioned that you have experience in web media as well as a lot of enthusiasm about magic but what in particular do you think made randy reach out to you as opposed to somebody else with just those two skills well i'm not sure who else those you know who else that would be you know what i mean like there aren't there just really isn't a lot of crossover honestly, between what I do, what I've done for Joystick and and uh, Games Radar and The Escapist and the world of magic. There have been magic sites before, but they've always come from a place of magic first and they don't know anything about web media. And as a result, they all look like they were made on GeoCities pages and they're terrible. I mean, even if there's good content on there, there isn't good content on there, but even if there's good content on there, it, it's it's not usable. Because it's it's just not made with a web savvy audience in mind. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, he knew my work and he knew the the kinds of stuff that we did. And you know, the fact he he wanted somebody who understood magic but wasn't part of that world. Because if you come from that world, you come in with preconceived notions, with you know your biases and your preferences and all that. So if you're someone who's wide open to it, like who just digs it, uh, you're more likely to have a, a broader view of the, the different ways to handle things. So, uh, yeah, it was just, a, it was a lucky thing, really. He had a thing he, he had in mind he wanted to do. Someone popped up who could fit the bill. That's it. You had all these skills from all your experience with web media. He saw that, capitalized on it. But I imagine that not all your skills are necessarily transferable. What are you learning that's new for this latest venture of yours? Well, the, the biggest thing that I have to learn that's new is the culture, right? Like, what do magicians care about? 
Like what 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 kind of news does a magician want to see, right? Uh, like as a as a layperson, I know what's cool to me. I know what I think a normal person is going to be interested in, right? Like, what what did communism have to do with magic? I don't understand. Like that, tell me that story. That's interesting. But what is a what does a magician want to talk about? What do they care about? What is what is what is off limits? What is not appropriate? That's the kind of stuff that I need to learn about. Like if you think about video games as, as an analogy, there's stuff in our culture that we've talked about to death that we don't care about. And there's stuff in our culture that is always interesting to us. And if you didn't, if you played a few games here and there, but really didn't know the audience, you would have to learn that kind of stuff. Like as as everybody who is trying to adapt to an esports beat knows, you have to learn the audience. You have to learn the culture. You have to figure out what matters to them, what and what doesn't, and also how to talk to them. Like just even the language that you use. Are they more casual? Are they more formal? Do they like jokes? Do they not? That kind of stuff. So that's that's the kind of things uh, ha- I'm learning along the way. So just like Nick Fury, did you have to put a team together? I did. I did. I am the Nick Fury of publishing. Nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, Dave Roberts, who was with me over at Games Radar, I asked him to join me as my managing editor. And uh, I am fortunate enough that he said yes. So uh, we work really, really well together. He's an incredibly talented writer. And the thing that really made me want him for this gig is he still feels enthusiasm right? Like he loves to love things. And that's a really important aspect of this kind of position. I feel like a lot of games writers don't feel that anymore. And I get why, believe me, believe me, I understand. But I wanted to, uh, to bring him on to, to take this ridiculous journey with me. So he joined and then, uh, Nastasha Perez, who was doing social media for the Smithsonian. Uh, I asked her to, uh, run our social media and she's she's great. She's just so smart, and she understands subcultures and is fascinated by them. And the thing that they both bring that is is so, so wonderful is this sponge-like quality. Like, if you show them something cool, they're going to be like, oh, my God, that's cool. Now I want to know more. And that's exactly what we have to do. We have to be these curators and stewards of of this really nifty topic and – share that enthusiasm with other people. So they've been, uh, they've been absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm so, so glad that uh, they're part of the team. It would not have occurred to me to hire somebody from the Smithsonian to run right? a magic social media account. I know, right? Yeah. How did you come to that conclusion? Did you, had you worked with her previously? Nope. Nope. I just put out a call for social media folks. And the second I talked to her, I knew. That was it. Like literally 30 seconds into our conversation, I was like, yep. This is the one. Oh, so she approached you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So it, it, it's not just an inner circle of Susan's friends. No, it's not just an inner circle of Susan's friends. No, no, no. Although, uh, you know, I have I have reached out to um, some writers that I've worked with in the past to uh, do features for the site. And the funny thing is, every single one of them, every single one of them says, well, I, I don't really know anything about magic. I'm like, you don't have to. Can you do an interview and then write it? I mean, it's it's the skills translate. You don't have to uh, have already like an encyclopedic knowledge of something to be able to write about it. You just don't. So uh, Adam Gauntlet, who worked with me at The Escapist, he was one of my news guys. He wrote a wonderful, 
really, really cool article about the character Mandrake the Magician, who I knew nothing about. He's this comic book character who was like a superhero, and he was a magician. It's awesome. And they tried to do a pilot for a, for they tried to do a TV show of Mandrake. Oh my god, it was. We have the video of it on the site. It's not. It's not good, man. I can't. I'm not, not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not. It's not good. Uh, so uh, he's written for me. Uh, Sarah LaBeouf, who's worked with me at many places, and has been on this podcast. And has been on this podcast. She is working on a an article uh, for me about how did you know magic is not legally considered an art form? What? Yes. There's a legal definition. There is, and here's why. It's for copyright. So if you, if someone, you know, writes a book and you plagiarize the book and put it out, they have legal repercussions that they can take against you. Same with a dance. Same with a painting. Not the same with a magic trick. Someone can steal your complete trick, start to finish, the method, the secret, all of it, and you have absolutely no legal recourse because it's not considered an art form. Is that something that is looking to be changed? Yes, yes. There are a number of magicians, including David Copperfield, uh, who are trying to get it uh, made into a, uh, a an actual art form. Um, the problem is just, you know, the government has more important things going on uh, at the moment. But yeah, I mean, and that's because here's the thing, like not only do magicians spend a lot of money developing their tricks, they can also create a career around a certain trick and if you take that from them that can you can prove significant financial impact but <laughs> too bad you know because there's absolutely no protection for them at this point there's a there's a magician named cyril who does this amazing it's this really really cool trick uh where he uh you know pick a card he puts it back in the deck he throws the deck at an aquarium that is full of fish and water and the card is stuck to the inside of the tank. It's a great trick. Google Cyril Aquarium and you'll see it. I think I've seen this on your Twitter feed. It's awesome. It's a really, really great trick. He spent, now I don't know the exact number of how much he spent developing this trick, but he said he could buy a Tesla with the money. Holy crap. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of, of the financial investment in these grand illusions. And that's not actually even considered a grand illusion. So a grand illusion are the really, really big set pieces like you see in Las Vegas. That's what that is called. Um, anyway, point is, if someone found out his his method and his secret, they could do that trick. And then he, they take advantage of basically the money he spent developing it and for their own benefit. And he has no legal recourse. None. Zero. Because it's not an art form. It's ridiculous. That's awful. Yeah. Which is a long, long answer to your question of uh, Susan's Inner Circle. Yes, I have reached out to some uh, of, of the writers I've worked with because, uh, you know, why the heck not? And I've seen you mention on Twitter that Genie is not like other web media companies in how it treats its freelancers as far as reimbursement. Yeah, we pay them. <laughs> we pay. And we pay fast. Yeah, you, you basically at this point, you, you hand in your work and I PayPal you the money. Boom. None of this 30-day, 90-day, maybe someday stuff. How is it that you're able to cut through all the red tape that other publications have? Because uh, we're really small. I mean, it's three people, you know? You're handing it in to me. I'm the one with the access to the money. There, I mean, then that's it. So uh, it is 
I want to say there are many, 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 many publications out there who are who treat their freelancers extremely well, uh, who do pay uh, on time, without fail. Uh, and at Wirecutter, for example, I've been doing some freelance stuff for them, and they are fantastic. So I don't want to make it sound like everybody pays late, but a lot of people pay late, and I don't. So hey, editor at genieonline.com. If you have pitches, hit hit me up. Excellent. That's G-E-N-I-I, not like the old online service. Correct. Correct. I have no idea why they named it that. It's weird. I don't get it. But that's what it is. Well, it has good SEO. SEO didn't exist in 1936, though. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I, I don't know. It's, it's a trick unto itself. I will have to ask uh, the guy who founded the magazine. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why didn't you just put an E on there? Why? Come on. Or or spell it D-J-I-N-N. <laughs> that I can tell you. Yeah. Because then it'd be like, what is that? I don't understand what that is. A degina. A degina. What? Right, Stupid. exactly. Yeah. So there are two things that you and I have both done in the last month. That is launch a website, launch a podcast. I'm not sure I know how to do either of those things, even though I've done them. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you get the word out? How do you get people to start coming to this new website other than putting out a tweet, which, as we know, only about 1% of your audience will ever see and engage with? True. Um, that is an ongoing question, honestly. Uh, the first thing we wanted to do was make sure the Magic community knew about it. And that is, I mean, we only launched, we, we've been live two whole weeks. <clears throat> so we're just, we're, we're really trying to get it out organically. Uh, we've, uh, you know, we, when we write about a particular magician, we make sure we include their Twitter handle and, and stuff like that. Um, but now we are moving into, uh, stuff like, uh, ads, Facebook ads, promoted posts, that sort of thing to, to spend some money to try and get the word out. Um, again, f- I am very, very fortunate in that, uh, Randy understands that promotion costs money and he is willing to fund that. So that's, I'm very, very lucky to have somebody that, that who gets it, uh, as the financial force behind this. So yeah, so we'll be doing that. Um, and we'll see how that goes. You know, speaking of SEO, when I do a Google search on the word magic, the very first hit is Magic the Gathering. How do you distinguish yourself? From I know. That? I know. That's – I don't – it's really, really tricky because of Magic the Gathering. And and that will always, always, always be the first hit just because – I mean they're not only because there's so many different fans, there's so many different products. You know, there's there's video games, there's cards, there's communities, there's I mean, there's all sorts of MTG stuff. So we'll never beat that. Yeah, it's it's that is going to be a challenge. Fortunately, our goals are modest because we are aware of the challenges. We really just every month we want to do better than we did last month. That's all we're shooting for right now. When you because we're starting something from zero. This has never existed before. So. Any growth is awesome, you know. Uh, we're still we're we're still figuring it out. We're we're still testing stuff. We're we're not entirely sure what the strategy for that is. So, uh, if anybody listening to this has particular insights about user acquisition, hit a girl up. You said that print is not a sustainable model. Does that mean that the website is intended to be more profitable than the magazine? <sighs> what? Long term, yes. We're see, we're not just talking about today. We are looking five, ten, fifteen, twenty years down the road. 
you know, is it going to be more profitable than the magazine in a year? I very much doubt that. Very, very much doubt that. However, five years from now, that's a different conversation. You know, um, it may be at some point that the two merge and that Genie Magazine is on Genie Online. We don't know. We, we were just, I was just a part of my, the business trip I just got back from was discussing like, okay, like where are the, the many, many different ways this can go. And there are so many different paths it can take. Like first, the first thing we had to make the thing, right? Like we had to actually make a site and we did that and everybody's happy with it. Like everybody is happy with the site. Like, okay, cool. We've achieved that. We've made a site. We understand the content now. Where do we go from here? And there's so many different ways we can go. And it, it's really, really cool to have been in, not even from day one, from day zero, so that whatever this ends up becoming is because we shaped it to be that. And that's really super exciting. What I've read is that as print media continues to its downward spiral, niche magazines like for hobby trains or model yep. trains or mm-hmm. stuff like that, those are the only ones that are sustaining themselves or even growing. Yes. Is that the case with Genie the Print Magazine as well? Uh, there will always be a set audience for it. However, growing, that's tricky. Like it probably won't decrease. It will probably remain, the, the subscription count will probably remain constant. However, costs don't. So even if you have subscribers year to year, your costs are probably going to go up for things like paper. So it's, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And you don't want to count on that. Genie the magazine will never go away. Even if it doesn't make money, it won't go away because it is, like I said, that archive, that wonderful archive of tricks and history and the people who made it all happen, whether it will be profitable in who knows. I asked because I also have a print magazine that is not online, and it's very niche. And in the last 10 years, I've actually been able to quintuple the subscriber base. Oh, nice. Which has driven the cost down because printing it in bulk has become cheaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Yes, yes. And one of the nice things about being in print, at least this particular magazine, it's so niche that there are almost no advertisers in that space. So I, am, I have complete editorial freedom because all the income, all the revenue comes from subscriber fees. Right, 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 right. Um, well, we definitely have uh, lots of different advertisers uh, in, in the magic space because people sell tricks. This is something I, I did not know that people didn't know this, that magicians don't create their own tricks. They don't. They learn them or they buy them. Well, some of them do, like the guy who could have bought a Tesla. Yes, some do. And there are some who don't perform who just create tricks. But, you know, if there's a hundred magicians that you're looking at, 95 of them probably didn't create their own tricks. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, what they may do is put their own spin on a trick, like their own their own take on a particular method. You'll see that a lot. But for just pure development of zero to to trick. Yeah, not that common. So uh, so that's where the advertisers uh, come from is, is people who sell tricks. And also stuff like, you know, cards and gimmicks and, you know, little little smoke machines that hide up your sleeve. So poof, things disappear in a puff of smoke, stuff like that. 
But you were talking about the financial harm that comes from one magician stealing another's trick. If two magicians are buying and performing the same trick, does that have a similar impact? Well, okay. So there's, there's, when we say trick, we're talking about different categories, right? Like one might be a, a simple card trick. And again, a thousand different pr- people can perform this, what is functionally the same card trick, but put their own spin on it and make it feel like their own. So that's cool. But if, okay, so there's a magician named Shen Lim. He was on Fool Us. He did this incredibly beautiful trick. Uh, it's just stunning. It's essentially a card trick. But he re- was retiring it from his own act. And so he sold it, but he sold a very limited number of it. And so I think he sold 200 of it. So that means 200 magicians in the world will have access to this trick. Now, if you think of magicians, you're probably thinking of people who appear on TV or in Las Vegas or what have you. But there are magicians who do, you know, corporate retreats and parties and cruise ships and they're strolling magicians at restaurants. There are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of magicians out there who won't necessarily cross paths. You know what I mean? If it's a really super, super identifiable trick, a very, very distinctive trick, then maybe you get that that audience reaction. Oh, I've seen this. But those kinds of really super identifiable tricks are very few and far between. Can you even begin to estimate how many magicians there are in the world? Nope. Probably depends on your definition of magician. Well, there's that too. Like, for example, uh, mentalists. If you ever see anybody who does a trick about like, I can read your mind, I know what number you're thinking of, that's a mentalist. Uh, Mentalists are considered magicians. Um, Some people consider folks like uh, who uh, swords and stuff. Some people consider them to be magicians and some people don't. So yeah, I have no idea. Does Jeannie have an official definition? I don't believe so. I think we have magicians and then related arts is how we break it down. So like jugglers, um, sword swallowers, we, we would consider them related arts. So this is an exciting new field, not only for my listeners, but also for you. You come in with a lot of knowledge, and now you're getting experience on the web media side as well. I realized that you had some concerns making this transition about leaving the games industry that you've been in for so long. Do you consider yourself to have left the games industry? (sighs) Yes and no. Um, I I, I still, obviously, I still care about video games a great deal. They're still very important to me. I still have opinions about them. I still love talking about them. I still want to talk about them. But I am not sorry to not be in the day-to-day BS that seems to be the prevailing uh, emotion associated with, with games these days. You know, I don't... So many hot takes and so many people who are angry about stupid stuff... And yeah, I don't miss that part of it. Um, I feel like I'm I'm games industry adjacent. Maybe I'm not in it so much anymore, but I'm definitely not fully out of it. Because I've seen that you're still going to things like E3 and PAX. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I am. I am. I will always. I will always go to PAX East. I will always do uh, blankety blank my game show. I love game show night. I will never stop doing game show night. It is it is such a happy part of my existence. Um, yeah, but I don't miss going to to packs like 
to cover it because it's it's ugh. and having to schedule and assign your staff. Yeah, yeah, it that's just such a drag, man. Ugh, like that's that's for there. There's there's a game journalist out there who's like, man, I love that. It energizes me. And bless your heart, I was you once upon a time. But yeah, I I, I did my time doing that sort of stuff, and I'm I'm quite content to not have to worry about it anymore. Are you going to these events just as attendees, or do you have credentials? I have credentials. From Genie? Okay, so when I go to PAX, I go as a speaker. And if, if you're a speaker, then you, you get a pass. Right. So for uh, E3, I mean, Genie Online's publisher is Randy Pitchford. He knows some folks. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> He's connected. He, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, although, actually, for this past E3, I still had my game's radar credentials because I had registered before I got laid off. So... I was I was there twice actually I was there uh, once for Genie and uh, once for Games Radar. But even those credentials aside, you have certainly a press outlet now. You've launched your own podcast. Indeed, indeed, yeah. So uh, uh, Anthony Agnello and I both got laid off the same day, and uh, we used to do the uh, radio Radar with Dave Roberts every week, and we just we loved it, man. So we didn't want to have to stop doing that just because we didn't all work together anymore. So we launched the Continue Podcast. We put out a we, we said on twitter like hey you know if we were going to do a podcast would you guys you know contribute to it to help pay for the cost and so many people it blew our minds we were like are you are you kidding us right now all you people saying yes you would contribute just to listen to our stupid asses twice a month like i don't even i don't know what you're doing with your lives that you you consider this entertainment but yeah so we got a wonderful response we we launched the patreon and we made our goal and uh so we keep to, we get to keep doing it, and it's so fun, and we're so so appreciative that that we have listeners who uh, will let us keep doing our our stupidity and recording it for y'all. So the continued podcast launch, you seem to have gotten a great reception, but you've been on a lot of podcasts before. You were on one at Escapist, for example. Uh, was there one at Joystick, yep. the Podcat? Oh yeah. Well, the the podcast is an escapist thing. Oh, okay, sorry. But yes, then I was on. I was on the. Uh, I was occasionally on the Joystick Super Podcast, and then I was on Radio Radar. So, what makes Continue different? What? Why was it that the Games Radio was the one that you want to keep doing? Well, what's really really fun for us is it's not affiliated with any brand, so we get to, you get pure unfiltered us. This is our thing. We don't have to worry about you know. Are we going to hurt anybody's feelings? Is this going to make it awkward when you're in the conversation with the ad team? Like, we don't care. It's just us. And that's uh, – we can do whatever mix of content we want. If we want to do an entire episode about mobile games, we can. If we want to do an entire episode about uh, Star Trek Discovery, we can. doesn't matter because it's paid for by the listeners. And that's so fun. That's just – that's a hoot. It's hard for me to believe that on any other podcast you were censoring yourself, Susan. Uh, okay, it's I, I was I was perhaps slightly more diplomatic about so actually honestly more of it's a thing for Anthony because he he will just he has he has opinions about things man he just he doesn't like Tom Clancy games so uh, yeah I I I think on well like for example uh, I wasn't allowed to swear on Joystick's podcast. That was not permitted. Just a little stuff like that. That must have been very difficult for you. 
actually, I got used to it. <laughs> I got used to it pretty, pretty quickly. I would slip every once in a while. But yeah, it was, I, I didn't mind that at all. It was just, it was just something I had to be conscious of. But I would, but well, the reason was, um, we had a lot of, uh, listeners who like to listen with their kids and they were like, Hey, you know, could you keep it clean? Like, Oh, if you are sharing this with your kid, I 100% respect that you would like us to keep it clean. So I will do that for you because I think you're being a really cool parent. So continue is not for families. Well, I mean, not that kind of family. No, <laughs> I mean, different families have different, uh, you know, uh, requirements for what their kids are and are, aren't allowed to listen to. But like our last episode, we had a, we had a, we started off with like a five minute conversation about poop. So, I mean, listen at your own discretion, man. And that's a gaming podcast talking about poop. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we started, um, cause Anthony or, uh, was talking about, um, his one-year-old daughter, Lyra. So yeah, if you have a one-year-old, you get, you talk about poop a lot. I suppose you get a pass. Yes. Okay. So you said that you got a very positive response when you were thinking about doing this show, and that's evidenced on the Patreon, which I'm a backer of. Is this your first oh, time you. using crowdfunding? Yes. And how, yes. Is, how is that going for you? Uh, I, I'm very fortunate in that I told the guys, I'm like, I, I will be the sugar mama who writes checks to like pay for our logo and stuff, and then I will show up and talk. But I don't know how to run anything regarding kickstarter or patreon or, or what have you so dave roberts took all that on he manages our patreon and he, he does an absolutely wonderful job with that with you know communicating with the backers and and uh handling everything with regard to that he, like he wrote our initial post like all of it he has handled that so yeah i basically just show up and say things um the reason i've never really gotten involved with any kind of um crowdfunding so we uh we an ethics rule everywhere I have worked. I have I have instilled this rule. If you write about games, you cannot back gaming-related crowdfunding projects. You can't. And I know a lot of people consider that to be, it's like a pre-order. It's not. You're helping to fund the creation of a game. You know, I just like to keep things very, very simple. Like, because, I mean, you could back it and then just disclose if you ever wrote about it. I like to keep things simpler than that. You sure, just can't. I can see that. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so that's why I never, like, I I only just backed my very first Kickstarter, like, a month ago. I never contributed to them. I never looked into it. I never didn't want to be involved because I just thought it was an ethically great area for me. Right? Like, just for me. Also, um, I didn't think it was appropriate for me to uh, pursue any kind of crowdfunding when I had a regular gig. You know, like there are a bunch of writers and content creators out there who don't work for a major company like AOL or Future, and I don't want to be taking any money away from them. So, yeah. One of the benefits of Continue, as you said, is that you're not associated with a brand. You don't have to answer to an ad team. But now you have these investors. You are accepting money on the other side of the crowdfunding equation. Do you feel mm -hmm. beholden to your listeners in a way that you didn't before? I, I feel beholden to entertain them. I feel beholden to give them a product every two weeks. I would love to do it weekly, honestly, if we could get past that next year. Yeah, and that's – But I mean, honestly, that's the the responsibility that I feel to them anyway. Uh, I, I see my job, and it's a job I take extremely seriously, to be honest with folks uh, and and to entertain them. 
you know, if you are good enough to give me your time and your money, then I am going to do my best to make it worth that. Right? Like if I'm not, what I won't do though is do anything that isn't true to me. Like I'm not going to pretend to be into something that I'm not. I'm not going to suck up. I'm not going to pander. Because that's, you know, that's not who I am. And that's dishonest. So like I'll, I, I try to treat the audience with respect and, uh, and appreciation. That's how I feel beholden to people. And one of the ways you entertain them is by giving them more direct access to you through Discord. Yes, yes, yes. So we have, uh, so for a certain level of backers, um, you have access to our Discord channel, which I love. I absolutely love being able to go in there and just talk to people directly. And we just chill and we just talk about whatever, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, we talk about uh, uh, Destiny a lot because we're, we're like, because we have a clan. Continue Podcast has a clan. And I did the Nightfall raid with a couple listeners uh, two weeks ago, and that was awesome. That was so fun. I loved getting to do that. It's just great, man. You know, like I, I, I know there are, are, fortunately, our community is small enough that everybody treats everybody well, right? Like we don't have that one person who's just in there being like, whoa, tits, like shut up. Like everybody's a real person. And an adult, and they just, they're cool, and they're so fun to talk to. I love it. I absolutely love it. So for those who don't know, Discord is similar to Slack, which is similar Mm -hmm. to IRC, and that is just a real-time online text-based chat room. Exactly. But I have tried these programs, and, you know, God bless whoever loves them. I don't, because I find it so hard to keep up. It's another window that I need to keep checking every moment. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And I totally get that. Um, for me, I, because I'm on the East coast, uh, I tend to be able to pay more attention to it in the morning before the West coast wakes up. Once it's afternoon from my time, then I tend not to be able to pay attention to it as much. So I just close it. And that's what I suggest everybody do. You know, like when you have time to pay attention to it, have it open and pay attention to it. And when you don't, don't. You know what I mean? Like we have so many demands on our time and attention and we feel like we're obligated to do it at all times, but we're really not like your time is yours, man. Spend it the way that makes sense for you. But when I close the discord channel and then I reopen it later, I experience FOMO where I need to go back and read everything I missed. (laughs) Well, I can't help that. Oh, okay. can't help that. But, but I mean, all conversations that happen are going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to be there for cool conversations. You're not going to be there for some other cool conversations. You know what I mean? Like, unless you want to camp there 24 hours a day, you're going to miss some stuff. And that's okay. <laughs> it really is. Some Another cool conversation is about to happen. I promise. Okay. I'll just have to look forward to those moments then. Yeah. So one of the questions I had outlined to ask you in this podcast was, what were your three favorite games of the year? And then somebody else asked you that exact same question on Twitter like a week ago. And I was shocked because I had predicted exactly which three games you were going to answer, and I only got one of them right. Oh, what did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say, what remains of Edith Finch? Yep. Well, you got that one right. Destiny 2. Oh, no. And Minecraft. No. Yeah. No. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I get you are a complete stranger to me. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> uh, okay. So what remains of Edith Finch is my game of the year. If you have not played it yet, it's only two hours long. I 
I just, I cannot recommend it enough. It has one of the most poignant moments in a video game, period, the end. So I, I just really, really want people to play that game. Uh, Persona 5, like, come on. Come on. Come on. The game is so good, it's stupid. <laughs> like, it's so good. Uh, and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I think, I love that game. Like, I understand people who it didn't really click with because you have to approach the combat in a very specific way. You are not a soldier. You are a hunter. And so the way you approach enemies is a little different. It's it's it, that middle zone between stealth and, and frontal attack. So uh, you really, you, know, you got to tie the bigger creatures down. You got to immobilize them. You really have to be smart about the fact that they are big and you are not. You're a little flesh bag and they have lasers and metal teeth. So, I, I mean, I love Horizon. I also loved its story. I love Horizon's story so much. I think it's such good sci-fi. And uh, Destiny 2, look, I love Destiny 2. I do. But let's all just be honest with ourselves. That game's like an 8 out of 10. Oh. I love it. See, this is, and this is, this is why re- review scores are bullshit. Because I... Love that game. I I was on I was on a business trip for the past week, and like every day, I was like, "Man, I wish I could be playing Destiny." I love that game. I think it's great, but enjoyment does not equal quality, right? Like you can love a set. I loved the first Destiny. The first Destiny is a seven out of ten. I love Destiny. I love Destiny too. Doesn't mean they're the best games of the year at all. Like my there's this is why when I was at the Escapist, we did the best games of the year, and then we did our favorite games of the year. Gotcha. Yeah, because those are two those are two completely different qualifiers. And Minecraft, yeah, I mean like Minecraft on on the Switch. Dang, that's fun. That's <laughs> some fun stuff. But I mean like Minecraft's existed for like ever. So even though that's one of my favorite games of the year, I don't, I, you know, I don't really think it's fair to put that on the best games of the year list. Horizon Zero Dawn is what I would be playing if Zelda hadn't come out for the Switch. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. See, I'm I'm. I'm just not interested in Zelda. Our secret. I know. Well, I know a lot of people are surprised by that because, I mean, it is entirely my jam. But, and this is the stupidest thing, and I understand that, the sound effects annoy the crap out of me. What? Okay, so you know when when Link is running, you hear this kind of... Yes. Drives me insane. Oh. Completely bananas. Yeah, like, it is a gorgeous game. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, I, I really like the new direction they're taking with the design. To the, so it's more of an open world. I think that's great. I watched my husband play it for about 40 hours. I'm good. Hmm. You, you remind me of a friend of mine who could... He he loved Star Trek The Next Generation, could never get into Deep Space Nine because he couldn't get over how ugly the Ferengi were. Wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. I, I definitely... For me, it part of part of why that show bugged me I couldn't stand how Major Kira walked. She, her posture, really. Yes, because uh, Nana Visitor, the actress, is yeah. a dancer. She's a classically trained dancer, and so she—that's how she moves. And it's extremely. She is very conscious of her body position at all times, and it's not natural. It looks very artificial because it is very artificial. I mean, that's. I mean, this is not a knock against her at all. Um, but yeah, it, it just like every time she was in a room, I was aware of how she was standing and it bugged me. Interesting. Her awareness of her own body tra- was very transparent. Yes. 
Huh. I if I ever go back and rewatch DS9, I will have to be mindful of that. Yep. Yep. And then I won't be able to watch it. Great. Thanks. You've ruined DS9 for me. Yeah, you'll see. You'll be like exactly. You'll be like, God damn it. Yeah. Thank I'm the worst. Son. I'm terrible. I'm awful. <laughs> what do you think of Discovery? <sighs> oh. Okay. Here's the thing. So, and this is this is a theory I will be discussing on on Monday's installment of uh, Continue. So, if you'll recall, while before Discovery came out, there was talk about going back and refilming, right? Yes. I am convinced that the two episodes we've seen so far were done after the rest of the show. They did the show, and they showed it to a test audience, and the test audience felt like they didn't get it. Like, why are we fighting Klingons? Why is this girl in jail? They didn't get it. So they basically created a prequel for you to understand that this girl is half Vulcan, awkwardly half Vulcan, I might say, that that we, we're fighting the Klingons and this is what happened. And this, like these are all the events that led up to the real first episode of Discovery. That's my theory because – it's so artificial. It's so forced. The dialogue is so exposition heavy. It's clumsy. It's really, really clunky. And I, I just, I feel like that got at, got done very, very quickly to sort of fill in those gaps for the, for the audience. So that explains why we haven't even seen the USS Discovery yet. Exactly. It gets introduced in what was supposed to be the first episode. And this is why you tweeted that you would enjoy the rest of the show more than you would the first two episodes. Yep. So you're in for the long haul then. Oh, for sure. For sure. I saw because I saw the, uh, you know, the, the coming this season. Right. And it starts with her going to, to jail because she she was court martialed and found guilty for insubordination and mutiny, uh, which as she should have been. That, now, that's interesting to me. Right. Like this this girl is is you know going to prison and stuff happens and you know she felt it she actually was correct she just <laughs> assaulted her captain which was not not a cool well, idea there's that yeah yeah uh and that and that's a cool starting place for me i wish we had just started there but um i i mean i guess i understand why they wanted to be very explicit with how she got from a to b I personally don't need that. But then again, I've been watching Star Trek since I was like six. So, you know, maybe they want they, they wanted to make it more explicit for a brand new viewer. You know what one of my first memories is of you, Susan? You're going to love this. Mm. We were at PAX East 2013 or 14. And oh <laughs> we had met the night before uh, in the hallway and we were getting ready for our panel about the best games of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a rather dimly lit auditorium at PAX East and the enforcers were working with the lighting to get it just right and one of the enforcers said to the mm -hmm. other how many lights are there supposed to be? And you know it. You <laughs> Did I just come right out with there are four lights? Yes. <laughs> I was like I like this person. <laughs> oh god I'm such a nerd. Oh, <laughs> you fit oh. right in. <laughs> So I mentioned that I, like you, have launched a new podcast in the past month. Have you heard of Transporter Lock? No. Is this a Star Trek podcast? It is. Oh. Uh, I'm co-hosting it every week with our mutual friend, Sabriel Mastin. 
Nice. Who, of course, inspired your hairdo. She did, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the- like, between uh, between her, because she just rocks the... She, she has, for those who maybe don't know, um, she has the uh, side of her head shaved. So, and I admired that for a long time, but then uh, on The Expanse, once I saw The Expanse, I was like, that's it. This is a thing I have to do. And I have had uh, the side of my head shaved ever since. So, she is probably the only person, except maybe for you, I know, who can out Star Trek me. <laughs> and so when they announced Discovery over a year ago, I immediately emailed Sabriel. I'm like, we have to do a show about this. Uh, yes. So we we did a premiere episode before Discovery even launched where we talked about The Expanse, actually. Oh, and cool. now we're doing a weekly review of each episode as they air. Oh, cool. I'm into it. Thank you. Similar to Continue, we're still trying to get our footing. We're talking tentatively about having guests in the future. Of course, you're welcome. Oh, I'm there. I'm so there, dude. Fantastic. Any chance any chance to talk about Trek, I'm in. I love it. Maybe maybe we can do a live recording at PAX East. <gasps> we should totally do that. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. Oh no, and now I've said it on the air, so we have to do it. <laughs> I haven't even asked my co-host if it's okay. Oh, she'll be into it. She'll oh, come on. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're wrapping up, but of course, I never want to hang up on you without giving you the opportunity to talk about Take This. Yes. For anybody who may not, still may not be aware, Take This is a nonprofit dedicated to increasing empathy, education, and awareness about mental health issues in the gaming community. Um, we pick the gaming community because you're our people, um, but obviously it's, it's for anybody. One thing I'm, I'm really excited to say is that since we launched Take This, there has been a, a real increase in people being willing to talk about uh, having mental health issues and and the fact that it doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to, you know, these things are treatable and it's it's pretty normal. It doesn't make you a weirdo. Uh, and the more you talk about it, the the easier it is to live with. And that's that's great, man. I mean, that's just so awesome because that was part of the goal is, you know, if we can just be chill about it, like you don't see people getting all hung up about talking about like, oh, wow, I have high blood pressure and I got to take a pill for it. Like, nobody cares. It's like, okay, cool. Like, I have allergies. I take a pill every morning. All right, bro. I don't understand why this is a thing. It would be so cool if we can get to that point where we're talking about, yeah, man, I take a, a pill for anxiety every morning. Like, That's cool. I don't care. Right? Like, if we got to that level of it's so not a thing with our mental health issues, that's that's the goal. And, and, and we're getting there, and that's awesome. So, yeah, uh, takethis.org is the website. We will be at PAX East. Check us out if if you or someone you know uh, you think maybe deals with some mental health issues. It's we're totally chill about it. It's a judgment free zone. We get it. We are like you. We we have our own issues. We're it's all cool. Um, and it can just be really helpful to just you know be honest and open about like you know what I don't feel up to talking to people today. That's okay. That's totally okay. You know what I mean. Like that's once you are able to say that kind of thing to people, it just takes this immense weight off you. So, yeah, I I encourage folks to uh, check out the site and uh, find out there there are loads of people just like them. And uh, you are most definitely not alone in dealing with that. I love the AFK rooms you have at events like PAX East and E3. The testimonials I hear from people who benefit from those are just so powerful. 
when I now when I go anywhere, I'm like, oh my god, we need to put get an AFK room here. Oh god, this is just the worst. I I so desperately want AFK rooms in airports. I can't even tell you. Whew, yeah. Uh, Especially having just traveled down to Las Vegas and Florida in the past week. Uh, Dallas, Dallas, and then oh, Las Vegas. That's right, Texas. Yep. Yep. Yeah, man. I so uh, I had an incident actually. Just to, to, to put my money where my mouth is and, and talk about my own stuff. Um, so uh, I have PTSD, and one of my triggers is uh, when I get too hot. The temperature is too hot. It's a very specific kind of hot because I live in the south. So I'm like hot half the year anyway. But it's a very specific kind of hot. And I was on a flight recently, not this past trip, the trip before. And uh, there was no air conditioning in the plane. That's inhuman. It, it was not great. And there was just enough for me to be like, okay, for two and a half hours of the flight. I was uncomfortable, but I was okay. And then the last half hour of the flight, it shut off completely. And I just started getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And I knew, I'm like, this is going to trigger me. I'm going to have an episode. Please, God, just let me get off the plane first. That's all I'm asking. Just let me get off the plane. And we landed, and I got off the plane, and walked about five feet into the airport and I lost it. I completely lost it. I started crying. I couldn't talk. So uh, for me, when I have PTSD, when I get triggered, um, I can't really function. Uh, I can't look at people. I can barely talk. Uh, Functioning on any kind of level is extremely difficult. Fortunately, and this, I will remember this man to my dying day. Uh, A guy who was just waiting for his plane um, came up to me asked if he if i was okay i said i'm really not <laughs> uh and he, he wanted to know how he could help and i i handed him my phone and i said could you please just open the, the american airlines app and find me where the admiral's club is because i can't and he did that the admiral's club is is the you know when if you have if you're a member it's a, a private area in the airport and i keep that membership for this exact reason and he's like, okay. So he found it for me. He's like, it's up the hall, and you'll and you'll take a right. It's right outside this gate. And I'm like, thank you. So I take my phone back and I start walking, and I I go and I'm still crying hysterically. I cannot stop. And I get maybe uh you know a hundred feet away, and here he comes, and he's like, you know what? If if it's okay with you, I'm just gonna walk with you to make sure you get there. Okay. I I do not. I could not look. I still couldn't look at him. I don't know his name. Um, but he walked me all the way to the Admiral's Club to make sure I, I got there. Okay. And it was one of the kindest, most generous things I've ever encountered in my entire life. And it was great. It was it was so immense to me in that moment that somebody would would take care of me like that who didn't know me. So but even just being to being able to say, I'm not okay, please do this to help me, that's something I wouldn't have been able to do a few years ago. I would have been like, no, no, I'm fine. And I would have tried to, you know, take care of it myself. But working with Take This and 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 seeing the people at the AFK room and, and talking to people at PAX and, and being out there has given me that gift of being able to say, I need help. So I just want to help other people do that too. Oh, that's wonderful. And it was great that you were able to find somebody who was able to be helpful without being invasive or condescending. Yes, yes, yes. That was, oh my God, like it's just, I will never forget him. I will never forget how wonderful that man was. 
every circumstance is different. The environment, mm-hmm. the person. Is there generally a proper response somebody can offer when they witness an episode happening? Just, you know, how can I help? Is there someone I can call for you? Start there. Don't don't touch the person. Like I know like a lot of people uh, will be like, oh, let me give you a hug. You don't know me. You don't know why I'm on the set. Don't touch me. Right. Like I wouldn't mind, but every situation is different. Um, yeah. How can I help? Is there someone I can get for you? Is there someone I can call for you? Great place to start. Because I've, I've witnessed three anxiety attacks in my life. And the first two, I was trying to be helpful and I just I didn't know what to do. Right. Uh, the third time, it actually happened in my house. So I went into my bedroom and I grabbed the children's book, I Want My Hat Back. Are you, are you familiar with that story? I am not. Oh, it's delightful. It's a turn-taking book. There are basically two parts in the book and you can take turns reading it. So like I said, hey, how about we read this book together? I'll be the bear and you can be all the other animals he takes turns talking to. What a great idea. For In that specific situation, that seemed to help. You know, I, however, I don't carry this book around with me. <laughs> well, no, and it also helped that you already know this person, so there's a, there's clearly a level of trust there. Right. They know you're not going to hurt them. They know you're not going to judge them. And and that's, that's super important. Uh, also, one thing I wanted to mention, I'm trying to find the name of the app. There's uh, an app that you can have on. Yeah, here it is. Okay, it's called Emergency Chat. It is a free app that you can have on your phone. And if you, uh, some people go nonverbal when they're having an episode. Uh, I frequently do. You can have it on there and you can either type live, like, like, hey, can you please do whatever, call my husband or what have you. Or you can have a pre-written message on there that you can just show people. I highly recommend having it uh, on your phone if uh, this is something that happens to you. It's just a really easy way because it's, man, it's a lot to explain to somebody in that moment. Like, hey, (laughs) I can't talk. Could you please? So if you have all that already typed out in this app uh, and it also allows them to respond to you um, in in a way that you might consider more safe. Got it. Okay, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. We've talked about so much. Genie, continue, Discord, Patreon. Is there anything else we've missed? Uh, probably. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're busy, we're busy people. We do we do lots of cool stuff. So. It's true. I think this we is all... a, a, pr- a pretty good, you know, what is it, a 10,000-foot or 5-mile view or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we we yeah. got the gist of it. Yeah. Great. So, Susan, remind us where we can find you online. Okay, um, you can all, and I encourage you to check out Genie Online, G E N I I Online. Uh, even if you're not quote into magic, I guarantee you will find stuff on there that you will find interesting to read or watch. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Susan Arndt, uh, and you can listen to me every other week on the Continue Podcast on Twitter. That's at Continue Pod. Wonderful, Susan. Thank you so much for coming on the show yet again. Uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. I miss my giraffe friends. They're so cool.